Episode 38 is here. Welcome back to the Track One Side One podcast, folks. Uh, this week's guest is uh, legendary journalist and author, Mr. Ian Winwood. Uh, I've always wanted to have a chat with Ian on here, uh, so it was a real, real pleasure to uh, have a nice sit down and discuss some incredible tracks that he's chosen for you. Uh, Ian's latest book, Bodies, Life and Death and Music, is out now, and I seriously cannot recommend it enough. Uh, Ian is full of stories, and some of the tales he tells over the next 50 minutes or so are absolutely insane. Uh, from private Metallica shows to having the Beastie Boys show Ian how the dance of Sasquatch and like tons, tons more. So uh, yeah, here we go, let's do it. So uh, make a cup of tea, pull up a chair, and join us, guys. And uh, enjoy my chat with Ian, and I'll be back as ever on the flip side. Top five side ones, track ones. You're listening to the Track One Side One podcast with me, your host, Gaz Jones. The greatest. Each week, a guest picks their five favorite album opening tracks, and we dissect, discuss, and debate each one. So let's put on our classics and have a little chat, then, shall we? And we are live people joining me this week on the podcast, staring at me through my little old laptop screen via the glorious medium of Skype and the old good old interweb ting. We have one of my absolute favourite journalists. We have Mr. Ian Winwood. How are you, Ian? You all right? I'm fine. What? I mean, one of. One of, uh, yeah. Fine. It's always one of. Sorry, you know, shout out Dom Lawson. <laughs> hello, hello, hello to you, Gaz, and hello to your listeners. I hope everyone's well. Uh, this uh, presumably autumn evening, it is or it's an autumn here. I've already caught it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an autumn evening it here. It certainly is an autumn evening, yeah. Just, you know, starting getting the nights are drawing in, as they say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I have to dig out the fleece at work now. It's starting to get a bit fresher in the mornings. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, but before we start with your list, mate, I was just wondering how hard was it getting it down to that list of the final five. Oh, it was it was agonising because you 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 start to um, overthink it a little yeah. bit, and 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 I am aware. I mean, it's I am aware that that the that the list, although it, it contains um, different styles of music, they're all guys. They're all guys, and they're all white guys. Uh, and uh, and I, I do so. I do make apologies for that. Actually, I, I'm, I'm tempted to say I make no apologies for that. I do make apologies for that. But there is there's a level of honesty because it's it's you know if if it were if it were I, 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 tracks from anywhere on an album, I could have very easily dropped in uh, you know Brothers Gonna Work It Out by Public Enemy or some Stevie Wonder or somebody's opening tracks, you know. And so I just so as as um, the listeners won't know this, but as we've been um, negotiating our, our 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 terms, Stu, uh, there's been some uh, amendments, some some uh, additions, some subtractions, and were we to do this tomorrow, through a power cut, now we'd have to do it tomorrow. Likely it would change again, but there we go. That's part of the fun of it, you know. It's uh, <laughs> right. Let's uh, let's crack up with the list, mate, because this, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be. An insane podcast of strapping people. What's the first track you want to talk about, Ian? Uh, it, well, I'm I'm trying to remember the, the the order that I've submitted them to you, Gaz. But I believe it is No Action by Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, this is the, the, the only one that I don't really have a story about. So this is a, a, a quite, a, quite a, uh, an understated opening track to the opening track podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but it's from Elvis Costello's second album, which is from 1988, which is this year's model. It was the first album he recorded with the Attractions, who were his backing band for for the rest of the 70s up to 86 and then for a period of about four years in the 90s his backing band now is the imposters which are essentially the attractions but with a different bass player uh and in 1978 this is sort of just he's he, what he did costello was he, he and this is this isn't a a, a, a great analytical revelation I'm, I'm giving you here. But what he did was he both harnessed the energy and precision of, of punk at its very, very best, but also pointed a way out of it. Because by then, in its original English form or British form, I beg your pardon, it was kind of done. Yeah. You know, it was kind yeah. of done and it was becoming a... a, a Cliche might be too hard, but it's it, it sort of very variety and and freshness and and uniqueness was was gone, and the second generation of of, of groups that would emerge, GBH and the Exploited, and that's a whole different yeah. thing. Whether one likes them or not, I don't mm -hmm. particularly, but it's a whole different thing. And the song itself is 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 really short. It's I mean it's not like you know DRI short no. or gang, early gangrene <laughs> short, but it's short. I I I apologize. I should have looked up how long it is, but it's essentially a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus, and then the chorus repeated again. And the band, the playing of Pete Thomas, the drummer particularly. And just the sheer venom and precision with which they deliver this song and, and the, its opening couplet, which kind of sets the tone for the rest of the album. Uh, and, and, the, and the opening couplet is delivered largely before the music crashes in. So it's sort of the first thing you hear is, I don't want to kiss you, I don't want to touch, I don't want to see you because I don't miss you that much. And um, and it's like whoa, that's that's quite an arresting start. And it, and for listeners that are, are inclined to, to 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 lend an ear to the rest of the album, those that don't already know it, I honestly do think it's 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 not to my ear, in a sense, wildly dissimilar from from Slayer's Rain in Blood, <laughs> in that it's it's like being waterboarded for eleven or twelve or 13 songs, I forget exactly what the number of songs is. It's so claustrophobic, it's so airless, it's so watertight uh, that it's actually quite exhausting. And, it, and, it's, and it's a great opening. It's a fantastic opening track. And I actually saw him open a concert with it at the, at the Albert Hall when I was a young, when I was a, 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 a very starry-eyed 23-year-old, fairly new to London. Yeah. And it will always mean a lot to me. And it's still a real rush to hear it. I mean, is that is is this your favourite Elvis Costello album? Oh no, that would that, uh, the, uh, the road to hell, the road to madness yeah. is paved with 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 me trying to decide which is my favourite Elvis Costello album. It's certainly one of yeah. them. Um, but, yeah, because he's so 
at that in that in that form in that early period particularly the first three albums he's so kind of terrifying really and so and he created almost this character for himself to get noticed in this you know revolutionary new world Mm. where the, the at least in the music press that the, the things that had happened before 1977 might as well have been the, from the era of George Formby and Vera Lynn, yeah. you know, yeah. and he did well. And he also did well shaking that off. Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly one of them, but, but I, I, I love his most recent album. The boy named Ape, I think is as good as, okay. as any record he's ever made. I mean, he really is my desert. I mean, there's nothing, new guys mm. or original about a music journalist of a certain age that loves Elvis, Elvis Costello, Costello. Exactly. That's what I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> you know, that's just, it's just not, it's just not original thinking in any way, shape or form. No. Um, but I can, I do, it, it, I have really stress tested my relationship with Elvis's music and I, I've never, I've never met him. I don't particularly, I think, want to meet him. I don't, I certainly, don't want to interview him. Um, doubtless, I try too hard. Doubtless, I wish to impress upon him that I knew more, perhaps, than other people who interviewed mm. him, and just make a tit of myself, really. <laughs> so, I, you know, this this is the the only the only one of my five selections where where I am a member of the public, if you will. I have no interaction with him whatsoever. I've never met him. He doesn't. As, as far as I know, he's no idea who I am, <laughs> and that's totally fine by me. Wonderful stuff. I mean, what are the Ian? What do you think of the characteristics that make a great opening track? You know, what do you go for? What do you look for? What turns you oh, on? Oh, it, 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 oh, I have never considered that question, and I do not know if that question to my mind has an answer. Mm. To be honest with you. I mean, you know, do you prefer something that kind of leads you in gently a la, I don't know, Shining You Crazy Diamond, or do you want something that's just like like Burnout by Green Day, you know, bang, well, you know, just straight shine, in, you know. Shine on You Crazy Diamond. <laughs> I mean, Dutch Elm disease takes takes hold faster than <laughs> Shine on You Crazy Diamond. So you've really gone up there. But, I mean, it's horses for it's horses. I mean, is this a trick question? It's horses for courses, guys, True. surely. Yeah. Because Shine on You Crazy Diamond is a fabulous opening track. And we're presuming all your listeners know what it is. The opening song of Pink Floyd's Wish You Were yeah. Here. And, and it... I swear, I got about eight minutes of it. It's essentially just one keyboard now. Yeah, true. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm exaggerating for comic effect, but only a little bit. No, it's very and true. That's I mean, great for pictures, I mean, great for I mean, I mean, I mean, but I mean, Burnout. Burn, sorry, guys, Burnout's a great opening track for Green Day. It would wouldn't be a good opening track on Wish You Were Here. No, true. You know? is, so it's horses for courses, I think. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, track number two, Ian. Where are we going, mate? Uh, track number two. Have I gone for? Have I gone for a certain quartet from the Bay Area of of, of San Francisco? San Francisco here. Can do, um, mate. Yes. Okay, yes. right. I can't remember the order that I submitted. No, no, sorry, but it doesn't have to go in any particular li- linear pattern, mate. We can go wherever right, we well, want, my friend. We'll, we'll go for this because I've got I've got a story. Let we'll go for we'll go for. And again, this isn't for a rock journalist. This isn't particularly innovative thinking mm-hmm. here. I've not tried to be too cute with this. 
and I've 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 gone for I've gone for Battery by by Metallica. Never over. Yeah, I, I think they've got a future. Yeah. I think they might. I mean, I've been doing this a long yeah. time, and I le- I've learned to spot yeah. talent, uh, and they have it, or at the very least, they had it back then. Uh, and um, and it's the third song for anyone that doesn't know from from uh, the first song. I beg your pardon from their third album, Master of Puppets, which was released in March 1986. And I know this because I bought the album on the day it was released. Incredible. I went, I went to the shops uh, at lunchtime at school and the local branch of Wallace, which, which was surprisingly good record department, had it in. And I went to TSB, uh, the bank, and I withdrew... I had six pounds fifty in the bank, and I withdrew five pounds fifty, and it cost five pounds forty nine. And I bought it on the day that it it came. Was out. that on on cassette or vinyl? Or? It was on vinyl. Wonderful. It was on vinyl, and and just very, I mean, I could gosh, I could talk for a very long time about this song. So let me let me try and <laughs> let me try and edit self edit as I go along. What is important information and or interesting information, and what is not. What is interesting, perhaps, is that it, 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 the album's about 53 minutes long, which is slightly too long for the sound quality to be, to be um, at its optimum level on a 33, revolutions, 33 and a third revolutions per minute vinyl album. Yeah. I'm not a big stereo head, yeah. but I do remember this. In the Christmas of that year, the, their record label, which in the UK was Music for Nations, issued master of puppets as two 12 inch singles 45 revolutions per minute oh, wow. which was limited to 5000 copies and i had one of them and i i didn't go on is it this yeah oh. i didn't go on yeah. to see how much that was uh, I, I, I was going to ask you if you still had it but it was the fact that you said had as in previous had. tense no, it's no, like no, oh the, mate no the crucial past yeah, tense yeah. I did not take get good care of my vinyl or my possessions, mm. so I wonder what that would be worth now. Um, it's worth saying because Metallica now, Metallica in many senses, and and if they play, if they come and play again, I'll still be excited to see them. I saw them on the Master of Puppets tour. I saw them on the twenty first of September, nineteen eighty six at the Hammersmith Odeon. I was in the second to back row. Uh, £5.50 a ticket. A lot of £5.50 action with Metallica yeah. going on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and uh, Anthrax supported, and it wow. is notable for being the last British concert they played with Cliff Burton yeah. uh, and pretty significant bragging rights for the 15-year-old me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, at school with me with my blazel mullet you know i was pretty cool uh, <laughs> and, um, incredible and, and it's 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 difficult to overstate this guys for any of your listeners who aren't you know middle-aged mm. really just how revolutionary this stuff was uh at the time i write i actually in in, in my book i actually write a little bit about being at, at this concert because in there was a, about a three-week period in which I saw Metallica, who I who I worshipped, and I saw Maiden, who I didn't really have a particularly strong opinion of, 
and Saxon, which seemed crazy to put those bands in the same bracket now. Well, you, I mean, uh, you say that. I mean, you know, Saxon, one of Lars's favourite bands, you know? Well, this is true. And, and I saw them in that order, and it was just obvious to me that something was changing, yeah. you know? Now, in the fullness of time, uh, Metallica and Maiden are both kind of giants of the genre, but, but, but to my teenage ears and eyes there was striking differences even though the difference in age between Maiden and Metallica was only a couple or three three or four years Mm -hmm. it was it was like Maiden were it was like the punk rock compared to prog rock it was just completely different and 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 it it made what I viewed as the older guard uh you know which which would be Maiden who, who I don't I admire them a, a great deal, but I don't much like them, to be honest with you. It just made them look ancient and, and naff and lame. You know, Metallica were occasionally played at 100 miles an hour, and they look like they just, I put it, I read this in the book, they look, they look like they just escaped from a plane crash, you know? <laughs> and and Maiden had sort of like their, you know, um, if you look at them on the back of the Somewhere in Time album, Oh. They kind of had their hair washed and they've got their new denim jacket, their leather jackets and new jeans. And Metallica just look like, they look like, honestly, they do. They look like they've just escaped from a pileup yeah. or a fight. Yeah. And it yeah. was like, well, this is, I can really relate to this. Um, and if you'll allow me one final show off. Please, please. Will you allow me that? Listeners? <laughs> if your listeners haven't switched off by now, I presume that we're going to have them till the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was uh, I was uh, lucky enough to I was lucky enough to to, to uh, I interviewed them twice in 2003. Once was uh, on the day that Robert Trujillo joined the band, and I was filmed. I was the first journalist to speak to them for for slightly more than two years while they were while they were falling apart. Yeah. And I I interviewed them in what was a world exclu- exclusive at the. Uh, at the Metallica HQ in in South in uh, I forget where it is now. Anyway, San San Rafael. San Rafael, yeah. San Rafael, and um, and I was filmed for this unknown project that that that, that this <laughs> camera crew was coming around. They didn't know what it was going to be, but would I mind being filmed? All my interviews being filmed, and it's really weird because um, I, like I wasn't nervous enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and um. If you watch kind of fly in the wall documentaries or reality shows, and someone says something really, you can't believe that they've said it on camera, and, and you think, my God, why did they? Why on earth did they say that? The answer is because they've forgotten that the camera's there exactly. because you tune them out really quickly. Uh, and uh, and so I'd sign a release form and have my photograph taken, and I was assured that I would be in this project, whatever it would be. They thought it might be kind of a, a television serial like in the in the style of the Osbournes yeah. as we all, as we as is now known it became some kind of monster yeah. and I can only marvel at its ability to tell its story without me <laughs> so I there I am on the cutting room floor and anyway when that when just to wrap this up really quickly when the um when the the the, the summer sanitarium tour uh, got underway I saw them play in Dallas on James Hetfield's 40th birthday, wow. actually, wow. in the dressing room of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and um, 
it's really strange. Enormous. Here's something. I've, I've, uh, here's something fresh. Eno- I was thinking about this the other day. Enormous bands, you know, hugely popular bands. They're kind of like courts, you know. Yeah. They're kind of like royal courts. Yeah. yeah. And you have all these people, and there's a there's a sort of hierarchy. And I I love trying to suss out what's what here and where the tensions are, where are the cracks, what's and. <laughs> And, and and things are sort of communicated very, very subtly. And it, it was made clear to me that unusually, and I don't know why this was, it just so happened that myself and uh, my dear friend, the great music photographer, Paul Harris, yeah. um, would be permitted to stay. What I didn't set this up very well. What Metallica do is they play immediately before going on stage. They'll tune yeah. up, they'll warm up yeah. before going on stage. Yeah. And I and normally the 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 the, the, the space is cleared, yeah. but it was made clear to me that they would allow me to to watch this happening. It's unbelievable. So I saw I've seen Metallica play Battery in the dressing room of the Dallas Cowboys. It was at the old Cowboy Stadium, which is called the Texas Stadium. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. That's that memory is a keeper. Isn't that's it? unbelievable. Metallica playing Barry to an audience of well, you and Paul, I guess. That's uh... yeah, me and me and Paul, and sort of like I mean, we're sort of in the realm of where each member has a personal assistant. Yeah. That's what I mean by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, of course. Uh, and it's and there's security yeah. and but yeah, we were the only people not on the tour. Paul and I were the only Paul and I were the only people not on the tour that that that, that were in that in that. Locker room, watching them, watching them. That's crazy. I mean, here's a question for you, and I mean, in regarding regards to that sort of time, you said that you went out and did the kind of world exclusive Metallica interview for when Rob joined the band and stuff. Again, we, you know, in regards to, I I still remember, I remember that Kerrang issue. It was was it new new lineup, new album, new Danger or something? Yeah. Why 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 the fuck do I remember this shit? It's great, yeah, and 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 it's such a great picture with Hepburn. Yeah, yeah. Your listeners can't see me with his. Yeah, yeah, that was taken in the courtyard. Lars was wearing clogs that day. You don't see his feet, but he was wearing clogs. Wow. And I wanted to title it "Return of the Masters." I thought that would be a great headline, but it it got it got changed. But we didn't we didn't actually know until we got there that day, Gaz. That, that that they had hired Robert oh, really? Trujillo. Really? It was it was we assumed it was going to be three people. Well, I I, I I suppose it was that kind of glorious time before kind of social media and yeah. and everything. You could still keep shit a secret. Well, he joined. He joined officially joined that day. Yeah. There's a scene in some kind of yes, monster yeah. where you see yeah. everybody applauding yeah. him in. Yeah. That was the day we were there. We were there. We arrived yeah. that day. So I mean, it was. It, I mean, really, it was the scoop. What what. What's your opinions of St. Anger t- nearly 20 years on? Well, I made a right tit of myself in that interview. There's no doubt about it because I I was, uh, they played me some of the songs from St. Anger. Yeah. Here's something yeah. um, that I learned that day. If you're in Metallica's HQ yeah. and Metallica are playing you their, a selection of songs from their brand new album yeah. and you're sat at a mixing, their mixing desk or a mixing yeah. desk, and directly behind you on the settee is Lars Ulrich and Bob Rock, who produced the records. Yeah. That does not do a very great deal for your critical faculties. Fair. That will throw that Fair. will throw way out of whack. Yeah. 
Um, I, and so I wrote it was the best thing they'd ever recorded. I, re- in the I remember. Just, I remember. Oh, it was, be- it was because of you. I was looking forward to it like fucking anything. I what, I went and bought, what, I bought it day release. <laughs> what a burke. And, 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 and as people started to get to hear it, um, yeah. what would be a couple of months later, yeah. by which I mean music journalists, yeah. they, they, it, 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 the security around it was ridiculous. So you'd have to go. You'd have to go to their um, to their press officer's office yeah. and sit in the in the room and listen to it on headphones while the office did their work. Yeah. And people would say to me, "Are you sure about the song? Because I've just been to listen to it, and I don't know." And I'm thinking, "Oh no, what have I done?" Um, what do I think of it? I think I think I think it's it's a complete mess. It's a complete mess. Um, it's it's pitiful really um that a band could be so fragile mm. creatively fragile and spooked that they would and and so um hypnotized i suppose or intimidated even by what was happening in their genre of music yeah. in the time okay. that they would that they would take away kirk hammett's solos yeah. Which, which is the, which is, and it, as one of the great lead players in the genre, they would take those away. That they would be so stupid, and and that they would all try to write lyrics together. When Hetfield is really quite the poet, yeah. it, everything about it is wrong and 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 pathetic, actually. Uh, and I think that Metallica in the twenty first century are pathetic, really. I think that they, I think that they are a, 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 as fine an example of, of Don Letts as the, the punk documentarian. Yeah. Don Letts that bands that bands last for seven or eight years, you know, the great period. Kill 'em all to the Black Album. The nineties they spent trying to trying to trying to find new things to do, and now I think Metallica are kind of a tribute band to themselves. In a way, I'm quite forgiving of it. Yes, yeah, yeah, same. Because if you look at the intensity of the, if you listen to the intensity of, of, of the band on on live shit, shit binge and purge the box set that came out at the end of the Black Album, there's no way Hetfield particularly, there's no way you can burn that brightly and with no. that much intensity and aggression. Exactly. You, you just can't. You just can't do it. But now this, you know, kind of Papa Het stuff. It's just, I, I just, I, I feel, I feel, I feel quite let down. But no, I don't feel let down. It, it, it is what it is. But I, I think they're, I think they're. I mean, I love Metallica, and I'm, I say this from a position of love. Of course. I think they're kind of a joke. Mm. I mean, that's that's harsher than I imagined it was going to be when I I started answering that question. <laughs> I kind of think they're a bit uh, they're a bit of a joke. They're they're a franchise and they're a, they're a, a, a Metallica tribute band. Yeah, but now. but is it a case of they've earned that right to to, to be? Well, a, I don't know band? because you know, and and, and it, we we were doing this. You think I think of this and you think of Maiden. Mm. If you'd have told me that 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 this would be how the race ends <laughs> it, when I was fifteen. Yeah. Maiden haven't done that. Maiden really, really believe in their new material. Oh, they do. Yeah, they, completely. I mean, I don't like. No, it, I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I grew up being like you were saying about. You know, you worshipped at the altar of Metallica, and you didn't really care that much about Maiden. I was kind of the opposite. I worshipped. Right, I, okay. I absolutely worshipped. Uh, I mean, I'm 
few years younger than you, so it was like, you know, Maiden were like the ultimate heavy metal band for me when I right. when I was younger. But I mean, now, um, I've, those last couple of double albums I've done, I think have been like flabby and as patchy as fuck. But, but, but like you say, they believe in it so much. They really believe Dickinson in has said that on like a tour they're going to do next year, I think they're doing another, yeah. they're going to do like, the whole of the album. And you know what? Yeah. And you know what? Regardless of what I think of the album, I give that a round of applause. Like, you believe in that shit, and that's so cool. Mm. I, you know, I, I find that it's, it's it's quite refreshing to find one of these um, like old school bands who they still release new albums, but they believe you know they don't just like they'll go out on tour and they won't just do like one song off that new album. They'll play yeah. the whole of the fucking album, and, and I yeah. and I applaud that as much as. I've no interest in it. It, you know. it, 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 it can't be denied, no, you know. And, and and when I remember seeing Metallica in '93 uh, at the Milton Keynes Bowl, I was, and, I, I was there. <laughs> there you go. And they had the T-shirt on sale. The back of the T-shirt yeah. said "Birth School Metallica Death." Yeah. And you could drive yourself mad trying to think of of, of, of other bands that could make that claim yeah. grateful dead maybe pearl jam maybe yeah. maiden maybe but they're so vanishingly rare yeah. and i miss that kind of like i say I'm, I'm not a fool i don't think that a band that you know who are now approaching 60 can can be the same as they were when they were 28 29 years old oh, of course not. uh and and it, it, it you know and it, it in many ways drove them mad because the music industry can, can do that mm-hmm. to you Can't um but I, but I, it's strange. It's strange. Yeah, I think a, a Metallica are a Metallica tribute band, and they're a really good Metallica tribute band. But they're a Metallica tribute band. It's absolutely fair. Do you know what? I can, I couldn't add any more to that. Mark. I, yeah, I kind of, yeah. I pretty, I've never actually looked at it that way, but yeah, I think that's the truth. I think that's the right way of looking at it these days. I, mm. I genuinely do. And I'll tell you what, I'll do this real quick. Because no, I'm no, talking, talking, talking. no, no, it's all good, man. I'm loving this. This is gold. This is gold. <laughs> and, the, and the reason this has been allowed to happen, mm. I have a theory, mm. is because Jason left. Mm. Now, Jason didn't didn't contribute much to, to uh, in terms of songwriting. No, not really. But in many ways, he was the conscience of the band, yeah. I think. Uh, and he gave a shit. He gave a shit about metal, yeah. and he gave shit about Metallica. Yeah, that's, that's interesting what you say there. He, he, well, especially during the nineties, he, he was the only guy in the band that gave a, like you say, gave a shit about metal. The word, you yeah. know, metal. When all, you know, where everyone else was kind of, I don't know, starting to, you know, hoover up mountains of cocaine and smoke cigars and French kiss each other at MTV Music Awards and stuff like. So, well, yeah. wear gold lame suits. He was the metal guy. He was, yeah. I think, he was the guy that kind of connected the fans to the band. Yeah, Maybe he, I guess was, was he the glue that held them together? He was. I think he, he, was, was. he was the shop steward, and I, yeah. and I want to let me get this right. When I say the metal guy, I don't mean he was reactionary or he was a Gumby no. or you know any of these derogatory terms. Yeah. He was sort. He understood. Yeah. He, he yeah. let me let me actually scrap that. He wasn't the metal guy. He was the Metallica fan yes. because he had yeah. been a Metallica yes, fan has, yeah. exactly. before. And I am not convinced that Robert Trujillo, who I've interviewed n- numerous times uh, and who's a lovely person, has that same quality. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. And so Metallica is probably a much easier place to, to, 
to live yeah. now. It's probably much easier to be a member of Metallica. I mean, Rob, Rob, Rob Trujillo, I'm, you know, I'm reliably informed that he's he's a fucking lovely old boy, but he's a yeah. but he's a yes man. He's an employee of Metallica. Yeah, and 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 and, and maybe I mean yes man might be harsh, but he's 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 got a, a gig presumably he likes and and it's very well paid. Mm-hmm. And well, he, it, he's now their he's now their longest serving bass player. So <laughs> it's just you know, yeah, it's just changed. But yeah, there was a certain there was something I I felt that I could hold on to, even when they were doing things that I didn't love. Perhaps mm. uh, were, I, I identified with Jason, and yeah. I identified with with all of them to be honest. But I identified with Jason, and I think that they've lost something in the in the in this century when he's not been in the band. That being said, they do occasionally do things that are remarkable, and 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 the album they did with Lou Reed is remarkable. That doesn't mean it's good necessarily, mm. but it's remarkable. So they do still take risks. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. I completely yeah. agree. Anyway, gosh, I've really, I've really went. Off no, no, it's, no, this is great. We, we we've kind of gone gone down the Metallica wormhole. It's so it's I nice. Really I, you know, this this is what I love about this podcast. You can start with one thing and then completely just talking yeah, about one yeah. thing for the next twenty five minutes. I love it. I mean, in, in, in this age of streaming that, you know, we're all kind of entrenched in now, whether we like it or not, um, mm. I mean, do you still think there's much importance kind of placed on, like, say, track sequencing or, like, especially, like, p- picking out, like, an opening track to an album? Do you think that's something that bands, I don't know, even think about, give a shit about anymore? Um, you know, is it something that you've kind of picked up on kind of uh, over the years since Spotify started? What what was that, like 15 years ago now or something? You know, uh, I think to quote the, the the great Bob Dylan, I think don't speak too soon because the wheel's still in spin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think <laughs> nice. there's, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm 51 years old, guys. I'm not really the person necessarily to answer this question properly, but it seems that the, the very younger listeners – are starting to identify with songs uh, rather than um, artists, let alone albums. Mm. Perhaps, perhaps that seems to be a trend. Uh, and not only not only is genre increasingly irrelevant and and good. I'm I'm all yeah. For that. No, same same. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, we both remember how fucking tribal it was when we were younger yeah. in terms of like music. You yeah. know w- what people. You know hung, who hung about out, out with who at school and stuff like that, and I'm glad that's gone. You know, yeah, uh, and and but also uh, kind of t- uh, time is is irrelevant too. It doesn't much matter that uh, in in the last season of Stranger Things, as is famously known, mm. a master of puppets and running up that hill. They're, they're both 38. Those both of those songs are 38 years old. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I don't think that matters to to if you're you know. 14, uh, which is the age that I was when I was started, when be, became really serious about music when I, when I first started going to concerts. It, 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 that stuff's not important there because it's all available. Yeah. Um, so one wonders about the, 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 the dear old album and whether they're important. I don't, I don't know. I don't know is the answer to that question. Yeah. I mean, fingers crossed for me. I, I hope so. I mean, I think it was, was it last week there was like the national... Was it National Album Day? On Saturday, yeah, wasn't it? Saturday, yeah. There was, um, yeah, there was like a big countdown of like the top, the top forty biggest selling debut albums in this country. I was quite surprised that Meatloaf, but hell, was number one. 
Well, I'm not. I'm surprised that you were surprised at that. Well, I, th- I well, I, I thought it was going to be something like, I don't know. For some reason, I thought it was going to be like, I don't know, like definitely maybe, or um, like, oh. or like Ed, or like Ed Sheeran's first album, or something like that. Or, you know, I think they're all in there, but there wasn't much new stuff. A lot of it was kind of old, and I thought, you know, there was obviously Adele and you know Ed Sheeran. And I think James Blunt was in there. God, right. God knows why, but you know, what can you, what can you do? A- <laughs> It has had forty-five years to to rack up those numbers, though. But yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's go on to track three, mate. Because uh, yeah, let's crack on. Track three. Where uh, are we going? So right, so track three. Uh, let's go to the east coast of America, uh, and let's do the Beastie Boys. Oh and yes, please. We're going yes, to do Chit Chit Check It Out. Um. And the reason we're going to do Chit Chit Check It Out is because I have a story. Wonderful. And I didn't put this story in my book. Oh, exclusive. Because there was no way I could, I could, I could tell this story without sounding like I was showing off and name dropping. Right. Um, and, and it's difficult. There are lots of notable, I guess, stories and, and people in my book. And I, and I hope that I've done them, I've, I've presented them for a purpose. But with this one, I just couldn't quite get it right. So so I, I cut it, I, let, I left it out. Uh, and I went to, I was lucky enough, so the Beastie Boys, I liked the Beastie Boys when I was at school. Same. With, with License to Ill. And it's it's difficult to overestimate, uh, or to over overstate, what it is I'm about to say here. <laughs> the the license oil came out in nineteen eighty seven. Yes. And and its successor, Paul's Boutique, which today is recognized as a masterpiece mm. and a, and a, and a, a, an important album uh in the evolution of hip hop and in the evolution of Beastie Boys. Just how low their stock was oh. when released Paul's Boutique. Outrageous, wasn't it? And I bought Paul's Boutique on the day it came out. Wow. And I, I, I have spent – I wasn't yet a music journalist. I, I was just, a, you know, an A-level student who loved music. And um, I bought it on vinyl and cassette so I could listen to it on my Walkman. Uh, and it was also one of – I that Christmas, I got a, a CD player for Christmas. So it was also my first. Hmm. That and Slayer's Raining Blood are the two CDs I bought nice, first. Nice, Right. So so I had it across three forms. Nice. And I would go out running. I like to run then and I like to run now. And I'd go out running listening to this album, thinking, well, this is – and, it, and it, it's such a complex record. I know I'm not yet talking about the album, the song from the album, of course, but bear with me. Of course. And I'd listen to this record and just, and, and it, it's so complex and detailed and it would, it would reveal itself, but listen upon listen upon listen. And I just thought, well, I've, I've just never heard anything like this. This is clearly astounding music. And I would tell people, you have to check out the new Beastie Boys album. And it was like I was saying, you've got to check out the new album by the Wombles <laughs> or, or Vanilla Ice. Yeah. It, people would openly laugh at me. It's mad. That- it's, it's, isn't it crazy to think that there was a time when the Beastie Boys couldn't get arrested? No. They were just written off as this novelty frat rock you know, thing that was a... It, that yeah. They were a thing once. Isn't it crazy saying yeah, that it- now? 
And I was um, looking enough just just before Check Your Head came out, I yeah. saw them play at the Marquee oh, Club. Wow. That's the Marquee Club that was on the Charing Cross Road, yeah. not the original Marquee Club. Yeah. And uh, and it was obviously that something was was building again. Yeah. And it was like I, I I'm I am for once I've got something right here. I'm I'm for once I can be part of this <laughs> this cool crowd, yeah. and I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. So anyway, so in 2004, they released To the Five Boroughs, and I um, went to New York to interview them and uh, for, for the cover of, of Kerrang. What's great about Kerrang is that it just covers anything that's loud. That's loud. Yeah. That's what the name means. So it's not a metal mag, although it covers that stuff. It's just anything yeah. that's loud. That, that, that was the that, that was thing I love, especially especially at that period, because you get Slayer on the cover, then the next week you yeah. get White Stripes or the Von Bondies, then you get Beastie Boys, then you get Green yeah. Day. It was, yeah, it was a fantastic stuff for the magazine. And then Muse, and then oh, so much stuff. Yeah, it was great. great. Yeah. Uh, and um, and we, uh, so <laughs> we... I went to this, they had this office complex. I think it was in Chelsea. It was certainly on the west side of Manhattan. And um, and you sat in a chair. I mean, this is 2004. So this doesn't sound that amazing now, but it yeah. was amazing at the time. And they had these banks of Apple Mac computers, oh, wow. but not MacBooks, like, you know, yeah. desktop computers. Yeah. And you put on these headphones and listen to the album. I can't remember what was playing on the screen, uh, but you looked at a screen and the chair vibrated to the music. That's incredible. And then as soon as the album finished, I went to interview the Beastie Boys. Uh, and um, and it was their first album for five years. Yeah. They hadn't released an album for five years. And you just start interviews slow. I, I, I've likened it to pouring a pint from a, from a brand new barrel. Hmm. The, you get a couple of pints where you don't use. Yeah. That's like the first five minutes of an interview, usually. Yeah. And I said to them, um, well, it's five years. Where have you been? Just to empty the, clear the pumps, yeah. you know? Yeah. And they said, oh, we've been, um, we were kidnapped by Sasquatch. <laughs> now, Sa for, I, for anyone that doesn't know Sasquatch, in England, Sasquatch would be called Bigfoot. Yeah. Uh, and I said, okay, for you got, and I said, what, what, five years is a long time. Yeah, we were living in a cave with Sasquatch. <laughs> and I said, well, what, what did he teach you? And he said, and they said, um, oh, he taught us to dance. And I said, okay, show me. Now, uh, Adrock did, didn't do, didn't get up, but Mike D and MCA did, right? And they stood up, and it's quite a small space that I was interviewing them in. And they stood up and were kind of doing beat, like the intergalactic video. Yeah. They were kind of going, yeah. and moving and dancing. And I'm sat, I can remember this as if it happened like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, the Beastie Boys are dancing for me. <laughs> The, the, beast, the Beastie Boys dancing for me, uh, and that's it. So again, it's really not—it's a ridiculous thing that I do for a living. It's—it's it's crazy, um, and 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 um, 
and to to have that on my mental hard drive, the be the coolest band in the world dance for me, you know. Yeah. I'll take that all day. So that's why I picked that. It's not. I don't think it's a particularly great song, mm. although it's a fantastic opening track. Oh yeah, definitely. But I had to tell you the story. I thought you might all enjoy oh, the story. The time in 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 New York that the Beastie Boys danced for me. Have you ever, have you ever seen um, where when the Beastie Boys did uh, check it out uh, live on Letterman? No, I haven't. You never see it's it's amazing. They yeah. they start on the streets, probably about right. I don't know about a quarter of a mile away from oh, w- wherever they film the uh, wherever the Letterman film. Yeah, yeah, Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they fifty sort of second and Broadway. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they they start yeah probably about a quarter of a mile away from like the right. like the stage but like the backstage door. And they're, they're there, you know, with, with the mics, you know, and obviously got mo- ear monitors going, oh, you triggers and TV addicts. And it just kind of like just slowly walking down the street towards the backstage door. And by the right. time it gets to the second chorus, they're on the, they're on the stage. Oh, it's that's fantastic. Unbelievable. Absolutely. They're just, so, they're just so effortlessly yeah. brilliant. You yeah. just think, oh, imagine if I was in the Beastie Boys. Yeah, I always did. It was the band I always <laughs> wanted to be in because it, yeah. It just seems so much more than a band. It was a gang, a gang of brothers, and like um, I got um, um, uh, I got I, I finally got hold of the book earlier this year, like the, the doc. Yeah, yeah, the, the one that everyone's got. It usually on their bookshelf. It, it you know, I'm looking at yeah, it right so now. Uh, the 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 uh, the Spike Jones documentary, yeah. like, like the live kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, with them reading stuff at the book. It's, it's, I only I only ever got to see them once, and that was uh, Reading '98. Um, that the summer of Intergalactic, like when right. that song was inescapable, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm so glad I got to see them. I know it was only only the once, but um, but at least you yeah, got you got, got to, to see, see them. them. And, uh, and you know, they finished with Sabotage, and it was just one of those absolute top tier festival moments. Yeah, you know. Uh, what 60, 70, 80,000 people all collectively losing their shit, not a phone in sight. This was those no. glorious days where yeah. everyone was looking at the stage. Yeah, and I know it, I know it sounds like you know it's a bit you know old man shouts at clouds, but it was better back then. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I, I would, I would like it if um, I mean, I take photos at gigs, I don't want to be that guy, but it's, it's kind of go. This is the song you all take photos at, and then just cut it out, will you? You know. Mm. I mean, I, oh. I went. To, I went to see. Um, I went. I went to see an incredible gig uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was at the Underworld. I went to see. Um, it was like one of my favourite bands from the nineties. Um, uh, Head Swim did a one-off mm. reunion gig. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the Underworld, it was. It was. It was wonderful. Kind of sold out. I don't know why. It's brilliant. I, I'm about. I'm about two hundred yards from the Underworld. Oh, like nice. Nice. So yeah. Um and um. It was, I, I don't know how many people the underworld holds. It's not many. I don't know, but at least 300, 400 maybe? 250. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it was, packed, it was packed. But there was, yeah, like so many people like recording the whole gig mm. on their phone. And right. I'm like, this is going to be, this is a one-off reunion. They've already said they're not going to do any more gigs now. This is it. This is the full stop. A thank you to the fans. They've done a reissue of their debut album and all this. Yeah. And there were so many people just standing there with a phone, and I'm like, we've all waited, like, best part of 25 years for Head Swim to do a gig again. Mm. And they're spending the whole gig, like, just looking through their phone. The, like whole, that. Gig, the, like, whole, the, the whole gig's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, that's ridiculous. Yeah. 
God, we do sound like old men shouting. I know, course. right? Should we move on? <laughs> uh, where are we up to? Track number four. Okay, we've done. We've been. We've been to the USA for for, for two. We've done. We've done the. We've done the uh, the Bay Area and we've done New York City. So let's come back. Let's come back to the UK. Let's do it. Uh, and we're going to do the Wild Hearts. Oh, our Lord and Savior, Ginger. There, there, there you go. And um, and we're going to do a song by the Wild Hearts from an album that I don't think is particularly. It's not. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, an album called Hookspar, which is from yeah. about 2008, if memory serves. Uh, 2009. 2009. And. and um, uh, the opening track is a song called The Jackson Whites. Yeah. And it's a really, really good song. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, it's a good song. The the fluency and inventiveness of Ginger's the the, the, the principal songwriter, Ginger Wildheart, uh it is on display and it's arresting and it's powerful and it's unusual yeah. but recognizable in in, in a in a form of melodic but quite heavy rock music and then this chorus comes out of nowhere yeah. and it, it it is i mean i i am wary and distrustful of people who say uh oh it's the best chorus by a british artist and and so on and so forth so let me let me use language correctly <laughs> It is a it is a top tier chorus, you know. It's a it's a it's a it's as good as Motown chorus. It's as, it's as good as all the great, and it just smashes out of nowhere. And it is fair to say that I have been listening to that song with, at the very least, some degree of regularity for. 13 years now because of that chorus mm. i'm i'm tempted even to sing it but i i shan't but i would i would urge. I'd, I'd love to hear it in a barnsley accent yeah. it's, it's, no, i say i sing i, I do and, it's, and, it, and it's just and um and i like i mean I, I, I like ginger yeah i i i i was kind enough to um to, to, without telling me he was going to do it, I wasn't hustling him. He was kind enough to, to issue a lovely tweet about my book at the weekend. Yeah, which, I saw it. it was a mate. It was beautiful, wasn't it? Which yeah, which was lovely. But and because he's in the book as yeah. well, and 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 as as we know, the Wild Hearts have, have had their troubles. They're, oh, they're, they're yeah. currently, I guess we'd call it on hiatus again. Uh, and as he correctly says that. A lot of the things they've done, they're actually not fun at all. You know, we we kind of look at them. For, oh, they, it is possible to look at from the outside and go, "Yay, rock and roll!" And and and, but from the inside, as he says, it's actually not fun at all. Um, so that's one thing. But the other thing is just the the, the sheer fluency of of him as a songwriter at his best and this is it is him at his best and that chorus is i would have needed to have a i, I don't know what the the equivalent would be as as for me as a writer who've written something as good as that but i would certainly have treated myself to the rest of the day off yeah. <laughs> if, I, if i'd have done it 
And what's, what I find fascinating, and I don't know that this is the case, but I can easily imagine that Ginger isn't wholly aware, perhaps, uh, of, of, of how it strikes me. Uh, and, he, and then he might well think, um, oh, wait, it's just, it's good, you know, it's a good chorus. And I quite like that. I quite like that this, this, this stuff just flies out of him. Well, it does. I mean, it, and, it, it just, well, you, you were saying about, you know, top tier chorus, but he shits top tier choruses. He, 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 he'll, he'll write 10 amazing songs for his daddy's first cup of coffee. Yeah, he does. But but the th- the great thing about the Jackson White is that and, and and this if you listen to this, you might come around and punch me in the in the face. <laughs> Sometimes the Wild Hearts for me could stand a bit of editing, and there's too much going on, and you can't see the wood for the from the trees. The Jackson White is a simply structured song, yeah. and yeah. that's great because the source ingredients are so good. That it, it it stays on the track the, the tracks. Yeah. It's a verse. It's not. It's it's slightly more than that because yeah. there are odd little bits in it. Yeah. But structurally, it's quite a conventional song, and it, I just think it's world class. But you, you you were talking about like almost too too many things going on. They that that that, that those kind of wild heart songs like I don't know anything from like the self titled white album as i call mm. it um the or, or stuff like sky babies where it's like eight and a half minutes of riffs that right. for me that is the wild hearts as, like as much as i love you know i fuck i adore it when he writes these two minute pop songs like vanilla radio or jackson yeah. white um you know th- things like that but you know for me when they go knee deep into those five minute riff um, sections in the middle of songs like "Rooting for the Bad Guy" or like "The Sweetest Thing," things like that, or, or like yeah, any, anything or "Fishing for Lucky's like "Inglorious" and stuff like that, okay. where where they kind of flex their muscles and just get into that groove. For me, I that's what kind of separates, I, I guess I don't know, like more kind of casual Wild Hearts fans from from the Wild Hearts fans like me who are usually frothing at the mouth when someone goes, "What do you think of Earth's verses?" Well. Strap in because we're going to talk for the next five hours about how, oh, okay. how how much this this band not only kind of saved my life, changed my life, wow, so- okay. soundtracks my life through the good times, the amazing times, the fucking despair despair times, the, the absolute dog shit times. Right. And I, I I owe Ginger so much, and I love and I I love the fact that he 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 finally found an outlet for, for that kind of frequency of songs because he's a machine. He's a songwriting machine. And, yeah. and you know, the, I, I, there was all, I remember all those stories in Kerrang! in like the mid to late nineties where East West were like, no, you can't release another album this year. And mm. he's like, but I've written these 30 songs. You know, he, he, he found that outlet using kind of, you know, the online stuff when he did like the, was it the 555% mm. you know, fan funded album. And, and now he's releasing like 10 new songs a month. Because he can mm. do on his band camp and stuff like this. And the fact that like Wild Hearts fans, they're almost like Maiden fans to me. They're so fucking hardcore. They will yeah. buy everything. Absolutely everything. And in the fullness of time, see, I'm going to happily cede ground yeah. to, to, to greater knowledge on your part mm. here. Um, 
there's c- clearly too much material to absorb. Yeah, true. true. But but this is no bad thing because in the fullness of time, and I sort of mean when you know we're we're dead, mm. and Ginger's dead, mm. and you're dead. Mm. This trove is can, is there to be discovered. Yeah by people in the in, at the end of the century and in the in the next yeah, century completely. and go well this guy was sort of you know he had an audience mm-hmm. but and and that and that personal stuff that we were talking about and 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 the you know the things that have tripped the wild hearts up and god knows they've tripped, tripped themselves up, <laughs> many times yeah all that will remain are these songs but this vast library yeah. of songs yeah. Uh, are there to be discovered, and I think that you're right. I think that there is there is probably something there for if 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 we survive as a species. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, and as things stand at the moment, I'm not sure we're going to make it to the end of the week. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, know, but, I know someone is not going to make it to the end of the week, no, but that's I, another story. Yeah, there is, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but you know, so if the music exists to be heard. It, it, I think that would be there. There are there are there are theses and there are there are there are things to be heard there that we possibly, are, certainly I'm not going to to hear because of the sheer volume of it, and that's quite fascinating. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, fair. I mean, it's uh, I I don't know if it was there, there was like there was two there was two, two bands from when I I got into it. It, it was the same. I think it was the same week. Mm. Uh, I first heard the Wild Hearts and I first heard Therapy. And, okay. and both of those bands are still with me now. And you know, it wasn't a case of like, oh, I was into the Wild Hearts and Therapy for a year, and then oh yeah, whatever happened to the, you know what happened to them. Right. I resolutely kind of just followed through and, and kept on going, you know. Um, and and again, like the Wild Hearts, I think you know, th- I mean, Therapy, you know, they're still releasing really good stuff. Um, I, mm. I interviewed Andy on the podcast early this year, you know, desperately trying to hold my shit together because he's like my absolute number one. Like musical hero, he's the he's the guy that made me want to play guitar and right. sing in a band, and 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 it's I think it's a wonderful part of British music that I generally don't think gets talked about enough. No. That period, that period from like um, you, you had Britpop over here, but you mm. also had you know I've, to, to coin the cheesy phrase Brit rock, but you know you had your Wild Hearts and your Therapies. Um, you know, Skunk and Nancy, yeah. uh, you know, Honeycrack, Silver Sun, Symposium. The fucking list was endless, you know. Yeah. And they were all British bands, all getting championed by Kerrang. And, you know, Terrorvision, you know, and a lot, a lot of them became legit big bands, you know, Feeder and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Feeder, Placebo. Placebo, yeah. You know, d- 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 you know it, was, it, was, it was an amazing time for music. And it's the time that I hold kind of most special yeah. to, to my heart. And basically you know it's it, it's always a pleasure when someone picks a wild heart song on this podcast because well, right. not enough not enough people have frankly no <laughs> on the on the therapy tip my friend yeah. simon young wrote the book he, if you don't want me mentioning it yeah. uh, so much for the 30-year plan it's, how great uh, it's a great book it's a great it's book. A really it's a really good book yeah. and 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 books like that um are quite difficult to to it's quite difficult for a book like that to cut through because yeah. it's seen as being too special yeah. um simon's a really good guy and i really enjoyed the book despite myself not being that much of a therapy fan yeah. not because i don't like them because yeah. i don't know them particularly yeah. well um guys so yeah. so if anybody's minded to to buy a book about a, an underrated but persistently good band that's your book 
Well, Apart from my of course, well, you know, now there's a cracking little segue. So, um, yeah, before we go on to your last track, mate, um, I mean, what made you want to write a book? What, you know, what made you want to go from journalist to, um, you know, published author? Published author? Well, th- there comes uh, a point in all um, aging music journalist lives where they have to write a book. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and I'd written a couple anyway. I'd written about the American punk rock scene. Um, oh, was that Smash? Which, is it Smash? Yeah, yeah. Smash. it's a good book. Yeah, which, yeah, good book, mate. Very good. Which, see, see, which I thought was my labour of love, mm-hmm. and I did, and and I'd, I'd written a couple with with the great writer Paul Brannigan as oh, well. Yeah. Um, but this time it was it was it was just time I think to do something different. And I thought, well, what are the most interesting stories that I have to tell? And they sort of were about me, to be honest with you. And then I thought, well, that that's that's not that interesting as an idea, just writing about me ruining my life, really. In what and I thought, in what context did I ruin it? Uh and it's strange when I'm describing the book, it, it I can never do it properly i can never do it well and i've been doing it for six months now and i'm still not very good at it but i thought i was allowed and 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 one of the reasons that i became very unwell was was due to a a, a, an incident that happened with a member of my family uh that that, that's in the book the book's quite funny in places i think um and also quite serious, but I thought, well, I've, I've existed in this world of rock and roll, and I've, I, I just know so many people that have, have either died or have met at least and, and encountered so many people that have died. I know a lot of people that have died. I know a lot of people that that that, that live quite dysfunctional and chaotic lives. I know people that have ended up in prison. Uh, but we're all quite nice people. What What is it about this world? Now, the music industry didn't make me ill, but it certainly gave me plenty of cover to behave excessively and dysfunctionally without people really noticing. Yeah. And I thought, is there something going on here in this world of kind of misfits and creative people and I guess sometimes unbalanced people, but also exploited people yeah. as well, just trying to earn a damn living yeah. that's making people unwell. And I thought, if I can, can I, can I, are these two stories, if not related to one another, can, can I put them together and tell a story about the struggling musicians uh, who are struggling for various reasons, financially, emotionally. Um, they're struggling because they're famous in some cases. Uh, with me, with me having been a, a beat reporter on the, at street level for thirty years, can I tell a story there? And I decided that I thought that I could. And having written it, I think that I have of me and my mates in rock and roll and people that I've encountered and how amazing the world is, but also how very, very, very dangerous it can be for many people and how 
when it's done with you, sometimes it kills you and sometimes it just chucks you away because they're done with you. And that's also as heartbreaking and as ruinous for people. You had three years where you were in the game, you were supporting a band at Wembley Arena and you were playing in Japan, for example, and crowds were cheering you. And then like that, it's kind of over, the wind's changed. How do you, how do you come to terms with that for the rest of your life? So that's really the story. It's actually much, it's a much livelier read than I made it sound like. <laughs> it's, called, it's called Bodies. I feel like I'm really plugging it in a, in a, a not very dignified way, but I'm very proud of it. Let's bring it on home, Final Ian. Song. Final song. Final song. I, I'm, I'm too old and sensible to have a favourite band, but my favourite band are Green Day. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and again, uh, it's worth saying that I've, uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a checkered career, I've called many, many, many things wrong. Yeah. But I called Green Day right and I called the Beastie Boys right. And they're, they're, they're two of the ones that I called right. And um, when I... I first interviewed them in 25 years ago on Nimrod, which is the point at which I thought I think that the modern Green Day began. Yeah, it did. It did. The, 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 the Green Day that would go on to make American Idiot started with Nimrod. Uh, and, and I guess that was the point where I truly, truly fell in love with them. I liked Dookie, and I still like Dookie, but not much more than that, to be honest with you. And I really like Insomniac, Same. but I could. But when they released Nimrod, I just thought they were a world. It was world class music. Doesn't hang together very well as an album necessarily, but its component parts. There are so many ideas on it, and and the the, the breadth of its potential and the progression yeah. of it. Yeah. So anyway, that was that was really my end. That was the first time that I met them, and I was going to choose the reason I mentioned Nimrod. I was going to choose the opening track from Nimrod, Nimrod, which is a, a punk rock classic yep, yep. called Nice Guys Finish Last, which is, which is, uh, I mean, evergreen day, really. Yeah. It's just so, it's just so fresh and, 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 and fabulous. But I went for a deeper cut off, off a, off a, I think rightly unloved trilogy yeah. in many, in many ways, Green Day have spent the past 18 years attempting to figure out a way out of the shadow cast by American Idiot. And that's fine because it's a masterpiece, essentially a masterpiece. I don't use the term lightly. Uh, and and they've, they've done many inventive things trying to, trying to figure out, you know, how to still be, make truly great music to the best of their abilities that isn't overshadowed by this colossus yeah. of American idiot. Yeah. And one of the ideas that they had was that they, they, they'd released three albums in quick succession. Uh, it didn't help the campaign that Billy Joe Armstrong uh, was required to go into rehab. Oh, after. Of course. <laughs> yeah, he had that big like, on-stage meltdown, didn't he? On-stage meltdown yeah. in Vegas. And yeah. actually, in my book, there's a story of my own meltdown in Vegas while en route to going and interview Green Day, Incredible. which happened about which happened about six months before Billy had it <laughs> right. in the same city. There's something about that town. Yeah, that's a lot of people uh, say. Yeah, and... Um, 
so the, the live campaign was torpedoed a little bit, but Radio 1 refused to play the songs because they said they weren't good enough. And they were kind of right. Billy Joe, I think Billy Joe Armstrong, I don't think he's ever written a bad song, but on, on Uno, Dos and Trey, which is what the three albums are called, there are certainly a number that aren't that interesting. And certainly they lack focus and they, 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 need, they need a haircut. The whole idea needs a haircut. Um, however, at the start of Trey, the final of the three, the last of the three albums, um, there's uh, the opening track is called Brutal Love. Uh, and, and it doesn't quite know how to end itself. <laughs> yeah, after, after the guitar solo and the chorus for the second time, it kind of staggers on a little bit to the yeah, end. You get a nice key change. Yeah, you do. Yeah. But with but with that notwithstanding, mm. the skill with which that song is written mm. uh, and the emotional heft of it—it's mm. almost like a kind of a doo-wop song yeah. at the start. And and I, I, I think there's a lot to be said, Gaz. For for you can tell how good a band is by how well they play slowly. Yeah. And it's a slow song. And they're such a, they're such a good band. They're such a great band uh, uh, musically as a musical unit. Oh, without question. And, it, and, it, and it, it, I just think it's, oh, you know, up until that final maybe 45 seconds mm. when it just kind of judges on a little bit. And I don't know if there's a, a, there's a, a better resolution to the song to be had. Mm. Perhaps there is. Until that point, it's just utterly, utterly magnificent. Mm. And I actually find it quite moving and, and in a good way taxing to listen to it. I find it so, I find myself so absorbed into the song uh, that, that I just love it. And, and I, 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 for a long time, I thought that Green Day should do, I've seen Green Day play 37 times. Cool. Yeah. And, um, and the last time that I saw them, which was over the summer at the London Stadium, it was a tight 90-minute set. Sometimes they play for two, two and three-quarter hours. Um, that was as good as I've ever seen them. Nice. But I've often thought that they ought to do two, two – when they're on tour, they ought to play two types of shows. They ought to play the stadium show for the people, you know, that want to hear the, 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 the bangers and the most famous songs. Yeah. And they ought to play kind of Hammersmith Apollo. Oh hell yeah! They're the ones I want to go to. I want to. I want to. I want to hear. You know, Stuart in the Avenue. I want to hear fucking Panic right. Panic song. I want to hear the Grouch, aka oh. the best song Billy Joe has ever written. Yeah, and, yeah. and I want to hear. And I want to hear Uptight. Yeah. So, you know, oh yeah. Uh, and and yeah, and, you know, yeah. And I want to hear No Pride. Mm. And I want to hear Church on Sunday. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Good and challenge. I want to hear. I want to hear Restless Heart Syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and all all of these amazing songs that that, that they will likely never play yeah, again. Yeah. I would really love that. I, I mean, you know, the economics of that aren't really going to work, and I don't imagine it will happen. But there's no, I would guess, very little chance of me ever hear. I have heard them play it live yeah. a couple of times, yeah. but but it was there and it was gone. And yeah. there are so many. You're right. There are so many songs like that now, you know, for them. Especially during that kind of period um, from, you know, Insomniac, Nimrod and Warning. 
so mm. many of those songs. I think you know some of his best, some of their best work is on those three albums. Yeah. And with the exception of I don't know, um, obviously they still play Brain Stew. They obviously still play Good Riddance. Um, but apart from that, it's pretty kind of slim pickings. Yeah. They were playing Minority, obviously. But yeah, I, you know, you got Minority, you got Waiting, you got Hitching a Ride. Yeah, true. Which was which was good. So you get so action. They didn't play. Did they play? I don't think they did play. Did, did they play Brain Stew? They dropped it the tour before mm. last. No, they did. They brought it back because they played Saint Jimmy after it instead yes. of Jaden. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but there it's, you go. It's, it... It's funny because when you when you sent your list through and it had it had this Green Day song on Brutal Love, I was like, do you know what? I haven't listened to I haven't listened to those that trilogy of albums since they came out. No. I you know uh, I, I I think Trey was the one. I, I think I might have given it like a cursory kind of one listen and gone, okay, that was a thing. You know that yeah. that was like a piece of bread and butter. That was all yeah. right. You know, I mean, I mean, there is one great song. I think there's one genuinely great song on Trey, and that's X Kid. I think X Kid. Okay. It's you know, I mean, it rips off another girl on another planet, but there's nothing wrong with that as far as I'm no, concerned. But you know, um, drama queen's good song. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, you know, don't get me wrong. It was actually I enjoyed it listening to Brutal Love. I enjoyed it a lot more today when I listened to it right, than I did okay. ten years ago. Um, and it's kind of made me think, oh, but maybe I could, you know, because, you know, I'm going to fully hold my hands up. I mean, I checked out on Green Day quite a long time ago. Right. You know, I'll always listen to the new stuff, just like I'd always listen to like a new Foo Fighters album. Mm. I, you know, because of where I was when, you know, when Everlong first came out, or do you know what I mean? Or, you know, think, you know, I'll always give a, like a new, a new Foo Fighters or a new feeder album a listen, things like that. The, mm. Um, regardless of whether they're decent or not, but I mean, with Green Day, like those, that trilogy of albums, man. Like I remember seeing them do. I think it was Welcome to Paradise on Top of the Pops in about '94. You know, it was before Basket yeah. Case. You know, and I was I was just hypnotized by the TV. I'm like, what the fuck is this? this what right, right. this is? Oh, what this is incredible. It's like I don't know. It's like Ramones for the nineties, or just like just this incredible, this incredibly exciting kinetic music. Um, and I got a copy of Dookie, and I bought Insomniac kind of the day it came out, and just and it's it's still my favorite Green Day album. I I love I love Nimrod. I think Nimrod's probably three or four songs too long. I think if you took maybe three or four songs off Nimrod, it would be perfect. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm a staunch, I'm a staunch warning defendant. I think warning has got a lot. He's got some great ideas. Yeah, I, uh, I think so. Uh, and is, is, then we come to the problem. You see, I, I, I appreciate American Idiot for what it is and what it made Green Day and how big it got them and stuff. And I love, you know, I, I've, there's no denying that, but. This could it, end badly, guys. Uh, <laughs> that's why we left it as the last song, wasn't it? Okay. I mean, I, I saw, I saw Green. I, was, I know you've seen Green Day. Was it thirty-seven times? Ago. I saw him a bunch of times in the nineties. Where Billy Joe was one of the greatest frontmen I've ever seen. I, I prefer Billy Joe when he wasn't doing the hair or, and all that. You oh, know, dude, you know, and I, it was just like get rid of that. You could do another five songs, mate. You no, know, no, that, and, that's long been a bone of contention for me, and, yeah. they, and he cut it back yeah. significantly the last time I saw him. Yeah. It, it, it became, it, it became, a, 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 it, 
I hated it, I have to say. Yeah. Um, and I find it interesting because American Idiot is the, is the last true rock blockbuster. No rock album will ever sell that many. No, no, I, compl- I completely agree with it. That's, that's what I mean about this. You know, I'm not denying it and I respect it for what it is. I think it was great. It was kind of, it was like you were saying, it was the last time when there was like, when a, like a rock a rock band was the biggest band in the world, but I, I, I you know I, I remember hearing the title track and I was like oh, okay this this is this is this is cool I like this I like this they've got the grunt in the guitar back mm. I, I don't know man do you know what after after hearing kind of brutal love and stuff as a result of you putting it as one of your five songs do you know what I'm gonna go I'm gonna listen tomorrow right I'm gonna listen to American Idiot. Okay, do From that. From start to know. finish. And do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to message you, mate, okay? Let's do. Because do you know what? I've listened to that album in its entirety probably well, probably since 2004. It came out 2004, I, yeah. And, yeah oh, so. my and, and, and And when you get to Letterbomb, yeah. um, know that you're listening to the song that Billy Joe believes is the best song he has ever written. Okay. Letterbomb, okay? For anyone listening to this that, that yeah. thinks they... Thinks there's, you know, either not listen to American Idiot, yeah. and I suppose that's possible, yeah. Uh, yeah. or you know, as, as you know, close the book on it, mm. dig it out again. It's it's oh, it's just fantastic. It's fantastic. I think that's a great way to finish in. Lovely. Thank you so much, my friends. No, it's really my pleasure. Thank you to everybody. If I may just quickly, thanks to everyone. I do talk and talk and talk. I love it. It's great. Thanks to that everyone that listened. There is no, there, there is a prize. Um, <laughs> if you email Gaz, he will send you some money for getting to the end. No, send me some money. It's about high time <laughs> I set up a fucking Patreon then. Ian, nice one, man. Lovely, Gaz. Thank you and for everyone who listened. And there we go. Cheers, Ian, for being an absolute total gent and, uh, yeah, for the mega stories, man. Just, yeah shit was out of control man absolutely banging cheers dude and uh, as I said at the start pick up a copy of Bodies um, as it's one of the best books I've read this year it's one of the best books I've read in god I don't know the last 5-10 years absolutely unbelievable stuff um, Ian's got a heck of a story to tell man and uh, yeah so give us a 5k review if you do so wish uh, on the old Spotify's and the iTunes and all that bollocks uh, spread the word and as ever you know thank you so much for listening to Sharon uh, the listening figures have been absolutely incredible this year so uh, from me to you thank you so fucking much um, there'll be one more episode before the Christmas break so uh, yeah take care of each other please and as ever fuck the Tories I'm out of here peace top five side ones track ones You've been listening to the Track One Side One podcast with me, your host, Gaz Jones. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter by searching for Track One Side One podcast to keep fully up to date with all future guests. And there will also be Spotify playlists linked to each episode. So please check all that out and I'll see you soon.